You are listening to Surviving in Academia, a Two Voices podcast for young academics, hosted by Dr. Victoria Cantoral and Dr. Miriam Tegel. If you're looking for refreshing discussions, strategies, and roadmaps on how to find your way in academia, you've come to the right place. So keep listening. In this episode, we will talk to Professor Alicia Dickerstein, who is a full professor at the University of Buenos Aires, Argentina. She is also a senior researcher at the National Council for Scientific and Technical Research at the Luis Antonio Santano Institute for Mathematical Research and a former vice president of the International Mathematical Union. Alicia Dickerstein was recently awarded the L'Oreal UNESCO for Women in Science Award in February 2021. If you want to learn more about Professor Alicia Dickenstein, keep listening and have yourself a nice cup of coffee or tea as you prefer. I am Alicia Dickenstein. I am a mathematician from Argentina. I've always lived in Argentina. I studied here, my, here is called licenciatura. Yes, maybe like a master, it's more like a master degree, master's degree. And then I completed here my PhD. And then uh, I stayed here for many years. I was very lost in my way. I will explain this later maybe. And then only many years after that, I started traveling. That was many years, that was like maybe eight years after my PhD. And then I realized that I felt very lonely here and I felt that I, I was not productive, that I saw colleagues that were productive and I couldn't be productive. And then uh, I realized, I can come back to this, that I was lacking information, that I was really far away. It was pre-email times, imagine. And there were no visitors, we were really far south. And then, uh, since then, I fought for information, and I still do. And then uh, I've always lived here, but I traveled here and there. I've, I've been able to stay for, when I'm in a semester, I, I am married, I have two children, now already have grandchildren. My children are really grown up. But when my children were at home, I got. It was not easy at the beginning, but I got a lot of support from my husband and my children and my mother. And then when I speak about a semester, it means I traveled for me for a month or a month and a half. And then I came back home for a month and then back again for a month. So I, I always split the semester. It's not that I left for three or four months, uh, but I spent several semesters at uh, institutes in the U.S. like the MSRI and IMA, and uh, and then I spent several semesters in Sweden. I love Sweden, and uh, I held positions in France, shorter, but I I travel quite a lot, and I I've been able to do that from here, and this saved my life. It was not uh, an easy way for me. It was not even a way. I then I I like to say that uh, there is a um, a poem but, uh, by the Spanish poet Antonio Machado, which it, it says, Se hace camino al andar, 
which means that you make the path uh, as you walk through it, right? You make your path. And I think this is understood that I had to do that. <laughs> there was no path to follow for me. There was no umbrella of subjects to study and I had to find my way. Probably it's, it's similar for most of us. And well, now, I'm, since several years ago, I'm a full professor at the University of Buenos Aires. And I'm very happy with my life now. I'm, 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 I'm not young, <laughs> but I'm very happy. But it was not a, a, a happy path at each moment. But I, what I feel now is that every, every effort that I put in my life in something, at the moment, it was a lot of effort, but then it, I was rewarded by that. So sooner or later, then sometimes later, everything that I got interested in, that I had doing, eventually this evolved into, into something good. Even if at, at, at the moment you are doing it, it's a lot of stress. I started my, my thesis was on something called several complex variables, analytic geometry, but it was a mixture of uh, analysis, algebra and geometry. And then I moved to something which is called the models, a little bit more um, differential equations, but with an algebraic flavor. And then I moved to more to um, algebraic geometry, but from a computational point of view and combinatorial point of view. And in the last years, I've been working in several applications of algebraic geometry. The one that I'm most interested in already for the last probably 10 years, I started working with tools of algebra and geometry to understand or to give some explanations or some predictions about signaling pathways in the cells so to applications to systems biology. We realized that the, the the standard modeling of many signaling pathways, like enzymatic pathways inside the cell, have a lot of uh, geometric and algebraic structure. And then we, we started working on that with non-classical uh, applied tools in mathematics, but it's not just my path. It's, now there is a whole group of people working in applications in what's called applied algebraic geometry. And so eventually I have a community now. <laughs> so it took me a long time, but uh, here I am. Can I ask you maybe like how it all started? When did you decide that you uh, would go for mathematics and have a career in, in mathematics? Was there any key moment in your youth that made you decide this? Yeah, but the key moment was uh, a vocational test I took because I, I had no idea that uh, such a career existed. I didn't know that there was a career in mathematics, absolutely. And then I liked, always liked mathematics, but I never thought that this could be something to do in your life, right? Mm. And then I was about to end and I didn't know what to do. So I had the idea of studying education. Uh, and at some moment <laughs> we had a chemistry teacher at school, everyone, hated her, except for me. I enjoyed her, but I thought I liked chemistry. But then I realized that what happened is that she would just teach theory for the whole month. And then in the tests, there were some exercises, but she never exp 
explained how to do the exercises. So I love the test because I, I had to figure out how to use the theory to, to solve the exercises. It was not the, the chemistry. It's not that I don't like chemistry, but this is not really my field. And then I was very lucky because the woman giving the test, she was um, a middle school professor in uh, philosophy and pedagogy, but then she went out, she was a member of the National Academy of Education. She was a very clever woman and she wrote very interesting things. And she had developed a, a, a battery of tests for vocational purposes. And then she told me, Olga, you know, one in one of these tests, there is a lot of uh, abstract uh, intelligence. Why don't you study math? And I said, math, what, what kind of strange people I'm going to find there? And then I realized that are strange people like myself. And she said, no, 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 I am a frustrated mathematician. You start with mathematics. If you don't like it, then you can go on and study education. But if you don't start with math, you, you never do that. And in fact, I, start, I started studying math because she was a frustrated mathematician. <laughs> but then as soon as I started, I realized that I was where I wanted to be. Yeah, I'm glad that that was the beginning of, of your nice career. Um, so you mentioned as well that you have had some like delicate and difficult moments, right? Throughout your career. So I think that my, my curiosity is that how did you manage to to overcome these these difficulties and to affirm them in some way? So for me, so maybe it's different to what happens to 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 other people. So my history is happened many years ago, and I I, I was living in Argentina. So I I got married very young. So before my PhD, a starting PhD, and my daughter was born in halfway to my to ending my thesis. Mm -hmm. And just after I ended it, my son was born. And a month, no, after yeah, a month after my son was born, my PhD advisor died of a sudden cancer at 45. My advisor was a great uh, Argentinian mathematician who came back to Argentina from France and the US. It was interesting because when I approached him to, I, I followed the course on complex analysis he gave and I loved him. And then I asked him to, to be my advisor. And he said, well, I, why, why don't you go and study in Minneapolis? And I said, no, I don't want to choose my whole life because of mathematics. This was my answer at that moment. I, I really didn't know what mathematics was. I had. I had met my husband, we were singing in a choir, and we had many friends that we were, I was enjoying life, I didn't, I was, I didn't really know what I was doing. But then he died, and there was a group working with him, but then the, the group dissolved, and I was in the middle of nowhere, and then, uh, well, one um, month before dying, he sat with us, I, I was also very lucky, because there was a group where they're all men, and but there was also a female PhD student. And we were friends, and we worked all together through the whole PhD process. So I think that this also saved my life, because I was not alone. I was with her. It was so good for me to have my friend, my female friend, uh, working with me. So we could maybe go to the beach and go on talking math and doing things that I could have never done with a, with a male friend. Mm. 
uh, I think this uh, having networks of good companies, this is uh, essential. And do you think, uh, from what you said, I I guess that there weren't many uh, women within mathematics when you started. Would you say that it's different today being a, a, a woman in mathem- in mathematics than compared to when you started your your PhD and when you started your research career? I think it's changing a lot. There are many, many people working on this all around the world. Mm. Uh, but I think that, you know, the, the obvious things cannot happen now. Now, if we see a, an all-male panel, we say we all react. And there are things that there cannot be, I mean, discriminations like before. But the more complicated things on that and it are the invisible things. For instance, the way we are evaluated. Mm. This is very male-oriented, the way we are evaluated. And there are many, of course, we want the, the best ones to be in the position, etc. But there are many small features that are there. And we have to think of this and we have to change that. But it is very difficult because once you start saying something like this, they say, ah, you don't want excellence. You want to have a decrease in, in level. It's very complicated because these things were not put there for a bad reason. They were put there for the best intentions. But of course, they were put there by men because they were in charge of everything. I mean, I really don't, I'm not blaming anyone is how everything works. But there are many subtle things in the way things work. It's not easy to see them. And this still produces a bias, I think. So let, let me tell you a, a very small anecdote. Uh, a few years ago in, in my school, they had the idea of uh, organizing pop talks. They were like small videos, just they wanted to attract. So I'm, I'm, our math department is in a school of natural and exact sciences. There are math, physics, uh, chemistry, uh, computer science, geology, biology, Uh, atmospherical sciences, many disciplines. And then they wanted, it was like a stand-up, a small video say, oh, I study lasers and they are great. Come and study lasers. Oh, I study the cell and this is so exciting. Come and study the cell. There were seven videos, seven male young scientists. And the person in charge is a woman. She's fantastic, okay? She, she's in charge of the gender issues uh, department now. And then I say, well, there's an obvious question. Why isn't there any women? And the, there were two answers. One is that uh, they invited some women, but eventually they couldn't. Then I realized that among the young professors in my school. So there are many women in Argentina, but there are many old women that the, the very, now the, it's very competitive to get a position there. And when it gets very competitive, very few women get there. And so there, there, there are few uh, female professors, but I think there was a hidden reason that I think it's crucial. I said, you know, What I feel is that you choose an activity which is not female-oriented because you have to just stand up, (laughs) just 
be there and say, do what I do. So I do this, this is great, no? do what I do. This is not something feminine. You, a woman would not say, do what I do. Maybe a man is more like to say, oh, I'm great, do what I do. But we are not, and we, I mean, this is a general way. We don't do that, no? So the, the, the idea of the videos was very masculine. It's not something, a, a, a way of a woman presenting her research or what, 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 what is interesting about what she does. Okay, maybe you people interacting and talk. I don't know how to, to organize the videos, but the idea of having these videos, someone say, do what I do, it's really masculine. And you don't realize this. Now, this is why many women, they contact and say, no, I don't want to do this. It's not because they were not good. And it's, this is a very subtle thing. This is, a, this is very minor. This is very minor, but it's still full of things like small things like this one that you don't realize that you have a great idea. Huh? You want to attract, they want you to attract male or, or, or female young students. There was not a question. There was no gender question on there, but the activity was really male oriented. The, the way of presenting the, your own research. And this happens all the time, and, and, and it, it will take a long time to, to dissolve this small, and this is spread in, in, the, in the culture because the, the, well, by tradition has been done this way, many things have been done this way. So there are obvious things when I started, uh, for instance, seminars were at 5, 6 p.m. So with my children, for me, it was impossible to attend seminar, and they were not at the university, but downtown. And for them, it was, they ended their classes, they went there and there was, there were secretaries with coffee because at the university, there was nothing. Um, but of course, you can say, no, this, this schedule is not convenient. Things that you see from a distance, you can obviously see now, nowadays. But, but I think we still have to, and, and it, it, this is not obvious even for women. So there are many things that are not obvious even for women. And for instance, we have the, the first um, activity related to gender in the Argentine math union. There was, there was like six years ago. And we started having a, a discussion. There was um, uh, a woman at, uh, at what we were in, in another city in Argentina called Santa Fe. And uh, the, the research secretary, then she became a, a minister in charge of the Ministry of Science and Technology there in the, in the province where Santa Fe is. And she had a training in gender issues. So we started having a conversation. And it was funny because one of our colleagues, for instance, says she's, she's fantastic and her husband is fantastic. But she said, you know, my husband helped me a lot in my career. He took care of my children and said, sorry, your children or <laughs> children? And it's, I mean, uh, it, what, the children are, belong to both, to you and your husband. It's not that our children. She didn't say he took care of our children. Mm -hmm. she, in fact, she said she helped me with my children instead of, of our children. Okay? So even if she asked for help and she got the help, so she has the conception that they were her children. He was helping her with her children, not the children that belong to both of them. And this is very subtle because this is in the basis of the culture. And it's very difficult to realize these things. 
So it is in the basis of the culture for men and women. And we don't, you know, it will take still a long way for this to change. But okay, it's improving a lot. I think that we are going to see a, a real change in, a, I don't know, in, in 10 years from now, I don't know exactly when, but we are already seeing changes. And what is interesting that in, in the Nordic countries, for instance, there are many women that are politicians or have many uh, business activities, there are still very few professors at the university. So because of the tradition, how everything is said, I don't know. It's very interesting that it's not really related to political advances in a direct way. If you talk about the anecdote of the, or the analogy of the leaking pipeline, you can see people falling out, women falling out, right? Mm -hmm. That's uh, during the, the bachelor, for example, or the master, there are more women, but then when you come to the highest level, there are not so many women anymore, of course, yeah. You know, also something that happens here, but maybe also now with the new generations is changing, but something that happens here is that maybe your um, parents, mother or father with the best of intentions, oh no, this is not feminine. Why don't you better do this other thing? No, mathematics or engineer, no, you know? And, and they try to advise what they think is best for their children. And they discourage women to go on, uh, in particular in this kind of uh, professions, right? Mm. Um, so <laughs> let me go back to my, to what happened when my advisor died. So I was, I, I said I was working with my, my friend. So he, two months before dying, he went to France and he came back and said, oh, what you did in, in your thesis was interesting. You could send this to, and he named it an excellent journal, but I didn't know that this was an excellent journal. I had no idea. And then he sat with us and started uh, helping us to write the introduction, which is a very difficult thing to do in a paper. We had no uh, experience with that. Hmm. He held that he died and we sent the paper there. We inherited his books and we found a Springer lecture notebook in mathematics with an article with, some, with a couple of French mathematicians and then we realized that this was already said in these papers by the French, but we had not seen that. And then, then I was explained that they had the idea, but they didn't complete it. But our advisor had not told us that. So we were expecting a letter saying, dear undeveloped, what you did was already done by the French guys many years ago. But the paper was accepted. And so I had this paper accepted, accepted in this excellent journal. And this gave me fresh air for many years. I think that my colleagues decided that I could do good things because it took me like more than six to eight years to recover, to find my, my way. So I, I had this article saying that I could do something interesting. This helped me a lot. But then uh, it, was, it was really hard really, really hard. I tried to work and I, you know, the, we didn't receive visitors or, or information or um, not even journals. <laughs> uh, not, it was terrible. And the salaries were very low here, but I had a job. Okay. I had badly paid, but I had a job here and I was not alone. Um, and then it was very frustrating, but I know somehow I, 
I went on. And then um, several good things happened altogether. I tried to study from books, but you cannot study from books, but something which is in a book is already, you know, old and has been done. Uh, and then uh, one of the miracles that happened is a colleague who went to Argentina for a sabbatical and he started sending me papers. And then I got an invitation to the ICTP in Trieste. Uh, and there was a, a school that lasted six weeks. And then there is where I realized that I was lacking a lot of information. And I, I felt completely unproductive. I saw that my colleagues were productive in other areas. Uh, because the group dissolved, also my friend who eventually went to study edu math education. She's a math educator, man. and then I and then I said, you know, if I had this information, I could try to produce something. And then, but it was like a revelation that I was not so stupid, <laughs> but I didn't have the the means to go on. And then I was invited to a meeting in uh, Mexico. That the idea was just to get together people working in Latin America in some kind of related fields. And, and it was nice because I, this was started in, a, this started on January 2nd or 3rd. And for us, you know, the main festivity is the end of the year. It's summer here. It really ends, the year ends. And um, I belong to a Jewish family. So I'm not religious at all, but we don't, gather for Christmas, we just, or there's no Thanksgiving here, we just gather for the end, the, the end, the 31st of December. And I only got a, a ticket to travel through the, this New Year's Eve, so to, from traveling, and then I had to, it was a terrible effort to, to do this because I had to leave my children at home and was traveling in this night and we were going, uh, west and so there was there was uh, new year and several times at night several times at some moment there was like 1 a.m at some part of the globe and everybody and then they, we had even champagne on the on the plane etc and then everyone went to sleep and i went on i, I put on my this small light in the plane and went on working on my notes because I needed mm -hmm. to end the notes, I didn't have time to. And I felt it was really a terrible effort leaving my family in Argentina, traveling that day, and with this little lamp on the plane. So I thought, will I ever be rewarded? I don't know what. And then when I, I because I, they, uh, they had asked me to, to, to talk about something, and I had no new article, but I, I had offered to give a mini course, which they accepted. And then they... It was the, my first uh, text, uh, notes, type, uh, typeset. And then, uh, well, I wrote, them, they asked me to write the notes. It was, at that moment, it was not so easy. You had to print. There was a mess one. I wrote the notes. And they, then three years after that, I received a letter from a very well-known uh, French professor saying, Cher Madame Dickenstein. Well, it was written, but I went to receive the letter. I couldn't believe it. So we, uh, several professors here, we are interested in your work. Would you like to come to visit uh, Paris 6 for a month as a visitor, as a guest no, professor? Mm. And I didn't know how, uh, what, 
how this happened. And then I could reconstruct. Well, well, this, this professor knew my advisor, right? But then I could reconstruct that these notes that were sent for referring to a, to the, sorry, to a Swedish professor who was married to a Mexican woman. They sent the, the, these notes for him to, it was a mini course to, to refer. And he went to France and in general, you don't do this because when you, this is a private information when you refer a paper. But he had the idea of giving this paper, these notes to this French professor. And so he was invited me for the notes I was writing in this plane at 1 a.m. 1st of January. So this is why I feel that it's not always so clear how to trace how things develop. But I, this is my motto that, you know, whatever effort you put, it comes back to you. You, know, you are rewarded at some moment. And then, uh, well, some... I think I essentially persevere and I, and I was lucky. I've been lucky also, mm-hmm. but you have to work in such a way that, the, the, so um, Pablo Picasso, the, the Spanish painter, he loved to say that, that it, the only good thing is that inspiration finds you wh- while you're working, right? It feels like you have a very a good, like a positive way of viewing it, right? Because I, I think your example is very good because I, I feel that sometimes there is a, too much a strong emphasis on the short-term results maybe and not the long-term results and your way of giving this example that the the effort that you put was actually rewarded later and that you're happy with your life even though you had these struggles I, I guess it's it's a very good philosophy to have right to actually to actually be a, a, a happy person because sometimes um, the academia can be a lottery sometimes and it, it can be easy to be bitter if if something happens against you, if, if you get, didn't, if you don't get the position that you wish for, or if you get um, your paper doesn't get accepted or something like that. But I think it's really, yeah, it's really important to have that kind of philosophy that you, uh, you give example of here today. Yeah, this is why I'm telling you, you this. I mean, I have made, I had also other times because this happened many years ago, you know, and I had a house and, uh, you know, it's not that there are many, there are more unstable situations than situations that are way more unstable that I was unhappy with my work, but otherwise, uh, I mean, I did have a house and I, I had a badly paid uh, position, hmm. not permanent, but uh, I had a body paid position here. So some, sometimes you cannot choose so easily. I was, I was frustrated, but I, I, I could survive. In, in, in other cases, you, you need to get a good position to survive. Right? Yeah. So, but sure. I think it's, it's a good philosophy and it worked in all my life in, in different aspects of my life. I realized it, that sooner or later, every effort that I put came back to me in, in a good way. Mm. So I advise to be patient with this. <laughs> a very nice advice. Well, there is one obvious thing that I um, learned from a colleague in physics. She's going, she's the, going to be the next uh, president of UPAP. I don't know how to pronounce, pronounce it is the International Union of Pure and Applied Physics. It's like the IMU in mathematics, but in physics. 
And she told me, she's been uh, involved with gender issues long ago. And she told me that a colleague in Europe had told her the following, that if there are three positions, but you announce them separately, the probability that the three of them will be filled in with men is 100%, okay? With probability one, all of them will be filled in by men. But if you can advise the three positions at the same time, again, the probability is one that at least one of the positions will be filled in by a woman. Because probably in the three cases, there was a woman who was uh, ranked second. So she will not get any of the positions, but if you have three and she's ranked second, she will get one. So one advice is to, uh, is to if uh, a department or an institution can advise more than one position at the same time, it's more likely that they are going to get at least one uh, female. I mean, this is an, an obvious thing, but it, it, because what happens the following, no? it's, it could be because you, you have children or it could be for other reasons, you invest time in, in, in other things or you have to take care of someone else. So there are many reasons why women are more delayed than men. And maybe if you are in your own track, you can, they can, for instance, if you are on track to a tenure track job, then they can take this into account if you are competing with yourself. But if you want to get the job where everyone is competing, people who don't have the, this uh, small stop that you had will be uh, just uh, in front of you. Mm-hmm. And you have to compete with everyone. They have not been stopped by anything. And also, you know, there are people who are stopped by many reasons. Maybe you were born in the right place, you were born to the right university, you went to, I know, Harvard, MIT, and then blah, blah, blah. And then you are always in front of other people who had other kind of education, just because not they're not as good as this person, but they live in other other places, they didn't have such opportunities. And in general, when there are open positions, you have to compete with people who had very different opportunities to to the ones that you had. But I think that eventually there is a place for every one of us. And it could be a happy place in math or whatever you study, or maybe you decide to do something else, but this should not be uh, uh, felt as, uh, as, you, as, uh, as that you are bad or you, are, uh, mm-hmm. you didn't succeed. Is that maybe, you know, there are so many ways of being satisfied with your life. Mm-hmm. I think you have to try. I tried to find my way and so if you my my advice is that if you like something just try to do it don't get stopped by don't get stopped by bad advices as i told you there are sometimes there are advices but even by your parents people who love you and say no this is not for you why are you struggling so much or you don't pay attention to bad advices even if they are uh, told to you with best intentions right? mm. but it, but it, I think it's very important to create a network, to get uh, friends or partners or whatever who can uh, help you. You can relax and go on. Yes, no, you're right. That's very, that's very important, the network, definitely. And also, uh, I agree with you that there is always a job for everyone. I agree with that. But for instance, like when you say like if you're advertised three positions, so how many institutions can actually advertise three positions per year? Not well, that many. Not maybe, but sometimes there are two. 
sometimes are too. And, and if the, I see, I've seen more than one institution now that they want to hire women and they advertise two positions at the same time. Mm. Yes. There are not many, yes. but I, I think many people realize that this is the way. No, that's true. If you if you you are going to have maybe two positions with some delay, six months delay or one month, one maybe even mm -hmm. one year delay if you join them. I don't know. It's this is like one thing that people can do, but it's very difficult because when you when you try to get um, a tenure track position, there are many things that being taken into account. Of course, your your research track. This is the main thing. Hmm. But also your research network, okay? It, it's with whom you are connected, on with, with whom you have collaborated. Also, uh, you, you have to collaborate with people, but you also have to show that you're independent. <laughs> yeah. And then you have, you, even if you have a, a postdoc positions where you don't have to teach, it's good, it's very good if you try to teach because you will need some teaching experience. And second, because the best way to learn something is to try to teach this to someone else. It's fantastic. It's a fantastic way to, to learn something. No? If you try to give a course on something that you know, you have to organize everything you know and just think in, in a deeper way. To, in a clear to way. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's good for you to invest time in teaching. teaching. And we also exactly. learned that you, that you have uh, published books, right? Books, books or teaching books in, in mathematics for, uh, for uh, adolescents or younger, younger adults or children even. Yeah. Um, is that right? Would you like to tell us a bit about these kind of projects or outreach? So the, I wrote the, my first book for children, maybe nine to 13 year old, uh, when my children were, went to primary school. Hmm. Uh, also the things that happen, you know, there are these lucky things that happen. So my children <laughs> never paid attention to math. I never taught them mathematics, I think. I, they were good in math, but they never, and they always decided, since they were very young, that one mathematician in, in the house was enough. <laughs> <laughs> so I, they were good, but they never paid attention to me. But once, we went uh, uh, on vacation. I was with them. And uh, nephew and a niece. And uh, the boys were eight and nine and the girls were 11. And we went to a small apartment at the beach. And it was raining. You know? And it was raining and I was pouring soup one day. And then my, my nephew told me, can I go and phone my mother? At that moment, you need to go to a phone company to phone. And, and they, they live in a small town in the well, city, <laughs> in the province of Buenos Aires called America. And at that moment, the phone numbers had only four digits. Okay, mm -hmm. And I said, yes, you can go. And my son said, you know, I know that there is a one, a two, a five, and a nine, but I never remember in which order. And then when they came back, I was still pouring the soup. We started having a lunch and I said, well, if you know that there is a one, a two, a five, and a nine, but you don't remember in which order, how many times do you need to, to dial until you are sure that you, until you, you, you hit the right number? And well, 
as we were, you know, it was rainy, we were at the beach, they started discussing this and I just somehow compelled the boys again, the girls. And eventually my, my nephew who was nine, he, gave, he, told me, he told me the answer. And then when, if you have, what if you have five digits and explain me why, but it was just one, I think the single moment in the whole childhood of my children when we discussed something related to math. But it happened that one month after that, I met a, a high school friend and we went to, to bike for a while. And I don't know why I told her this story because it really happened only once in my life that I discussed some math with my children. And then it happened that she was working in an editorial company who produced books for children. And then a couple of months after that, she was going along the corridor and they had produced a very interesting book on, uh, on, um, on the way you write in Spanish, no? on, on Spanish, what's that? Mm -hmm. And then they had the idea of finding someone who produced a book in math for children. And she said, oh, she said, I have a friend. She remembered our conversation. I have a friend. And she, I said, but your friend, she's a professor at the university. We want something for children. We said, no, but she's a mom, she said. Okay. And they invited me. But this was, you know, all by chance. They invited me to go and, and make a proposal. And, and then I, I made, I started just pay at paying attention to small math problems that happen all in, in my life in my daily in our daily lives and I sent them a proposal and I was also very lucky because the woman in charge of that the editor she's a fantastic uh, short story writer for children hmm. and she gave me several hints and then I realized that if you want to write to children so it took me some time to decide the math but double time of that to write this down because when we think we have some like shortcuts you know, that we don't even realize but we need to transmit these to people who don't have those shortcuts hmm. and then well it was I spent like a, a year thinking of daily life uh, small anecdotes involving some math and then uh, maybe a, a whole more year <laughs> writing this down and the, the book was published the company went bankrupt, but then uh, but it, it was used by the Math Olympiad. It was distributed along the country. I got very nice feedback. And then many years after that, I it was republished by a company here. And I was invited also to write uh, three books, well more organized for an editorial company. And then this time I, I assembled a team. I didn't have so much. And it was very interesting. We were like, uh, six or seven, where one um, primary school teacher, two uh, girls that ended doing PhD in math education, and then three researchers, six, mm -hmm. I think. And we spent really, really a lot of time in the writing of the problems. So each group, we subdivided into groups who produced the first ideas, but then we discussed all together every single line how we write. But I enjoy this very much. And now I have a small project of doing um, some, uh, I've been involved in some math outreach using, uh, there are fantastic programs uh, developed by what is called imaginary.org. 
this started as, as the year of International Year of Mathematics in uh, Germany. This was led by Gerd Martin Royel. And he was also the director of the Overwall FACMAT Institute for a while. And he had this idea of creating this software. And uh, this related to math outreach, but this, they created some software that use math related to beauty. So that you create with mathematics, beautiful things. And it's very interesting because in, 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 in algebraic geometry, you have what is called uh, algebraic surfaces. This, you have in space, every point gets three coordinates. So X, Y, and Z, like in, in the plane, people in general study in school that on the plane you have this uh, Cartesian coordinates, every point has two coordinates, X and Y. And then in space, each point has three coordinates. And then if you look at the points that satisfy a certain equation, then you can draw a surface. And this surface could be a beautiful one, like maybe an, even a, a heart, or many, many, many beautiful surfaces are described this way by algebraic equations. So in fact, what uh, algebraic geometry is more abstract than this, but you try to uh, understand or predict what's going to happen to, to this geometric object that you see, if it is going to have a, an angle and uh, cast something strange or it's going to be a smooth object, you, you use the algebraic equation. And on the other side, you use the intuition of the geometric object to understand the algebra, uh, what you do with the algebra. And what is fantastic is that you have the, you should take a look, they, they have one program, program which is, or you can download it for free, it's called Surfer. And in this program, you, you draw the, this, this surfaces, beautiful surfaces with, you can put colors, they're fantastic. But then you have the equation that produces them, that in general, people love these surfaces, but they don't like the equation, but it's good that you see them both together. You see that this that you like comes with this algebraic thing that you don't like. Mm. So I think this is fantastic to do uh, outreach because everything you produce is beautiful. I think so, these are good examples of how you can actually connect mathematics to the real world, right? Because that is one thing I'm not, I, I, I quit math long time ago. I haven't studied it at university, but I remember one thing from school that was a problem for me. And that was that the kind of problems that we worked with, they had really no connection to the real world. So it was all very abstract. So I really like the, uh, the idea of connecting it to something tangible and connecting it in the children's books, for example, to day, daily problems, right? Like the one with the telephone that, that you can actually encounter and then you understand how you can use the math, math to, to solve this problem, right? Also, you know, when you, when, you, when you teach, no matter what, there is a lot of emotions coming there. Mm. If you're interested, you're going to learn much more. And if you think that you cannot do it, you won't be able to do it. If you think that you can, you will probably do it. And this is very much related to math education. In general, students, they are not motivated. They don't feel that they are interested and they don't think that they will succeed. And this is something we had to fight against uh, math education. So we've, we've discussed many areas now and uh, of your experience, and it's, it's, it's clear to everyone, I think, that you have a very broad experience in many areas. But if you were to maybe just mention a couple of your most important achievements in your, in your life or in your professional life, what would that be for you? 
I don't know. I I like to tell a, a small story. It is not uh, any prize that I got. Uh, I've been lucky to to be really rewarded by prizes lately. But um, I this happened when I when I had my uh, first PhD student that I told you that we started working on something, and all of a sudden we found, uh, well, an example where there were five solutions to a problem, five independent solutions. And then there was a theorem by very famous mathematician saying there was at most four. Hmm. And then I thought, oh, I don't understand anything. So I, we are finding five, we're supposed to find four. I, For a moment, I, I felt I, I don't understand. And then I have a fantastic math friend. He's a fantastic mathematician. He's terribly encouraging. And he had introduced this, all this story to me. And I just, I didn't know that he was in, in Japan at that moment. And then I wrote him an email message before going to bed. I said, you know, I'm, I'm having fun with these five solutions where I'm supposed to find four. I don't understand. And then, but then when I went to bed, I realized, I'm sure I'm right. It's not that I am wrong. There are really five independent solutions. There has something that was wrong in what this great mathematician said, because I was sure that what I did was right, you know? And then in the morning, he was in Japan, so the time difference was we were like 12 hours apart. I found a message saying, oh yes, you're right. There are five solutions because I think they forgot to put the hypothesis. And your example that does not have this hypothesis. And so I it was very lucky because I had the confirmation the following morning. And indeed, we ended, they had forgotten a hypothesis. We had an example, and then we ended publishing a very nice paper. But for me, the best moment when was when I realized that I was right, that even if there were great mathematicians, it was not that I was not understanding. I was understanding, and there were five solutions in this mm. example. So I, I, I feel this is one of my achievements to just have trust, trusted what I thought was correct. It's not a big prize or a big result, but I, I like this. Yeah, it's a very nice example. And I think it's, it's, it's also the conclusion that you put is also nice to be, to have this confidence, right? Because that's the thing that, that many of us struggle with sometimes during our, our life in academia, our, our confidence in ourselves. And we tend to compare ourselves with others great thinkers before us, for example. So yeah, definitely. I was also lucky, as I always say, because in the following morning, I had the confirmation that indeed I was right, hmm. that there was something fishy there. Maybe if you, you know, it, you might feel this, but I was, this, uh, this was confirmed quite uh, soon. Hmm. Okay, but this is why I remember this. Maybe there were not so happy instances, but I don't remember them. I just remember the happy ones. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's another, yeah, it's another good example of the of the of a, a healthy life philosophy, I think. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't remember one moment when I realized something that I had not realized realized before because it's like a continuum you are thinking mm. and your brain works and eventually it evolves but you know 
Yeah, and it can often also be a, an, an effect of social interaction, just like you say, right? That you talk to someone and then this person gives you a little piece of help to evolve in this problem. And yeah. Absolutely. So I think people, doesn't, people don't realize that mathematical is a social science much more than what people think of it. Mm. Because really in the interactions with other people, so what you produce when you, you talk to other people is much bigger than what you can produce if you're separate because the brains connect and you connect the ideas. And it's and I also uh, think that um, science in general is a social construction with each of us, we put like a block, right? We put our blocks. Maybe there are great geniuses who produce a whole building or whatever, whole city, but we in general, we just put our blocks in, in the, to, to create some walls. But maybe we need materials for that and we need to know what has been put before. So a not also easy part of our work is to realize what other people have done. It takes a lot of time to read papers written by other people. But it's also important to talk to other people because this will really increase the speed of, at which you know what other people have been done. And, have, and, and when, you, when you see a paper, you don't realize the main idea because... When, you, when it is the main idea that drove that paper, when, when you see it is the final product, maybe the, the first idea is, is lost and, you, and you, if you read it, you, you don't get it. And it's important to talk to people. No, but the, the main idea was, ah, and then it's social interaction, I think is, is crucial for mathematics. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yes, definitely. And I think as well, like, um, so now during this pandemic that social interaction has been a little bit cut off. What do you think will be the, the effect of this kind of social isolation in the production of mathematics? So or any it, other science? I, I think people who had started collaborations before the pandemic, this could be solved. You know, you can just meet uh, online and go on. It's hard to start something. And it's even harder for younger people to, to talk to. Maybe if you're if you in, in a conference, in a workshop, you see some uh, more established mathematicians, you can go and ask a question or you are at, di at dinner or lunch or coffee and you just naturally discuss something and then you get some help, some ideas. This, you're you are losing all of it. You cannot be closer to people. It's hard to start something. But it's not so hard to go on if you already have some connections. And we have to get you take the, the best of that because we are in a difficult situation. It's particularly very difficult for young people like you, for people who don't have an established, established position, a, a stable position. Uh, but also, as I, uh, we have the opportunity to attend lectures uh, and workshops where in, in many places of the world, uh, which are online, and we would not be able to attend to attend all of them if we needed to travel to all of them. So there are many opportunities. It's, it's hard. Uh, if you already have connections, it's much easier. If you are, if you don't have them now, it's it's hard, and it's hard for everybody. So I have I hope that uh, this will be taken into account, but don't. Maybe you develop some other uh, skills or, you know, you never know. Maybe this helps you. Yeah, it's uh, the long-term focus <laughs> that we need to have, right? Yes. 
If you were to give any advice to young people listening to this, listening to this interview right now and young scholars that are in this, in the middle of this uh, uncertain path, maybe towards a permanent position later or something like that, what, what kind of like based on your experience and, and what you've learned uh, in your own career, what kind of advice would you like to give to, to young scholars now seeking for their path in, in academia? So the first one uh, I have already said is to trust yourself. If you don't trust yourself, it's very unlikely that you can be successful. <laughs> uh, and don't think that everybody else is uh, everybody else is succeeding, and you're all the only one who are not. As I told you, for instance, for many years I saw that my colleagues were able to work, and I couldn't. And then somehow I realized that I didn't have the information. It's not that I got the information immediately, but then I fought for information and somehow I got it. So it's not, obviously there are people who are, uh, are in, 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 for, for which life is much easier than for you probably. But if you trust yourself and you follow your, your wishes, what you desire, I think it's, it's very likely that you will succeed in what you're doing. And it, I, it also it's very, I would recommend people to read uh, interviews with Karen Ullenbeck. She's the only woman who got the Abel Prize. Uh, I mean, I don't know, I knew the number, like maybe 30 something, she's the only uh, female mathematician who got it. And she has a very clear idea of helping in particular uh, women. And she, it was not, when she started, women couldn't have a position and she needed to start with really in, in, in really not um, main math departments because they were not for women. And she has, and this happened many years ago, but she's very sensible to all these matters. And, and I think that her interviews are very inspiring. I would encourage uh, young people to listen to her. Karen Olenbeck, right? Uh, Karen Olenbeck, yeah. Mm -hmm. Let me end with a small anecdote that it is not um, related to math, but it's like a, a late motif. <laughs> it could be a late motif. So some years ago, I mean, like maybe many years ago, but I, I met a friend from high school I hadn't seen from many years. He's a lawyer. And then we met, we sat in a, in a, in a bench in a, in a square and we said, oh, and he just told me this story that he, there was a girl, a nine, 10 year old girl, she was standing in front of her house and there was a truck with a container and then a stone fell off the container and hit the girl on his head. And she was taken to intensive, uh, to intensive care. She had, uh, she lost consciousness and she was in a terrible trauma at that moment. And then when she recovered, okay, but then the, the mother wanted to sue the, the truck uh, company. And then my friend, my lawyer friend, he went to the school where the girl was uh, studying and tried to get um, testimonies of how bad her records in school had become. And to his surprise, the answer from the, from the teacher was that, oh, no, 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 she improved a lot. 
because before, now she's an excellent student, before she was not a good student. It's because, you know, apparently nobody would pay attention to her at school. She had many brothers and sisters, many siblings, but with the accident, she became the center of the house. Everybody paid attention to her and she improved a lot in school. So maybe the, 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 what I'm trying to say is sometimes some, something happens to you. You know, you're standing there, there's a stone on your head and you're taken to intensive care unit. Why? This is the best thing that could be happening to me. And eventually in the long run, this was the, the best thing that could have happened to the girl in some way. No, it's not good to be. So I don't be discouraged by small bad things. You know, just try to... Also, you know, when, when my, my advisor told me to go to study mathematics abroad, I said, oh, no, I'm going to be away for three or four years. I'm going to miss all my friends. And then now I realize that three years is, or four years is nothing. You don't miss your good friends. Um, that it's, it's hard to think of this when you're young, because two years or three years or whatever seems to be a lot of time. Uh, and also it's interesting to see the, the career of many people. You see them, they're very successful, but it was not such an easy way. And there's a very also motivating um, uh, response from Dusa Magdaf, who got the, I, I guess she got a prize from AWM many, many years ago, like in the beginning of the 90s. Now she's, she's, she's a fantastic mathematician. She's a, a she had a wonderful math uh, career. But she tells how she, the, the, step that, the steps that she had to get there. And she, first she was, she was in, uh, in the UK and she wrote a fantastic thesis and she felt that she was great. And then she married a, a poet and they went to the US, sorry, and they went to Russia and they were interested in his husband, not in her her husband, not in her. Um, uh, but then she had, eventually she had a fantastic advisor in uh, Russia. And then she went to the US and she had a third advisor. And eventually she found her, her way in mathematics. But she, she was able to succeed after this PhD advisor, this Russian mentor, and this other mentor in the US until she found what she wanted to do and what she, what's her her area, what her research was going to be about. So it's very interesting to see these very successful women eventually, one, one thing, so she, she was always so successful and she also had to struggle to find her, her way. So don't be discouraged. So the main thing is don't be discouraged. Just trust yourself. And if you don't succeed, maybe there is something else uh, which is better for you and be happy doing whatever else you, you're happy doing. Thank you very much. I feel very encouraged now <laughs> after this interview, I must say. <laughs>
Stay safe, stay healthy, and more importantly, stay tuned.